Welcome back to Common Ground in the Commonwealth, the podcast where we, the next generation, explore the world of political polarization. I'm Arushi Bansal, your co-host, and joining me is Connor Brumley. What's up, Connor? Hey, Arushi. Not much. Just thrilled to be here and ready to dive into some important conversation. Hello, everyone. It's Connor Brumley, your other co-host, and today we're diving deep into a topic that resonates across state lines party affiliations, and generations. Polarization. In the spirit of finding common ground, we've invited one exceptional guest who has navigated the complexities of politics from a unique perspective. Joining us is Nate Wayne, former youth governor of Maine. Together, we'll explore the challenges of polarization, discuss their experience as a young leader, and hopefully uncover some insights that can bridge the gap in our ever-divided world. Welcome, Nate. Hey guys, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to have you. Can you introduce yourself for us? Absolutely. Um, well, my name is Nate Wayne. I am the 80th governor of the state of Maine. Um, I uh, was born and raised in Brunswick, Maine, and I met Arushi and Connor this past June at the Youth Governors Conference. Uh, and I'm so happy to be here on the inaugural episode of the pod. How have you personally experienced or observed political polarization in your respective state? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a really important question. Um, Maine, I think probably a little bit more so than Kentucky, uh, is definitely a purple state. Uh, Maine is really divided straight down the middle um, by socioeconomic class. We aren't the most racially, racially or ethnically diverse state um, but when, when it comes down to socioeconomic status, um, there's a stark divide. I live in a small town about 30 minutes north of Portland, which is our, which is our biggest city. Um, it's a college town, though. Um, so we have professors living next to trailer parks, lawyers living next to lobstermen. Um, and that socioeconomic divide will often correlate with a political divide as well. Uh, the, the main political climate can really swing back and forth all the time, red or blue. Uh, we even have, you know, in our independent Senator in Ings King, we had an independent governor who served two terms, uh, about 20, 30 years ago. Um, but that sort of moderate, uh, reputation doesn't necessarily mean that everybody in Maine is a centrist. Uh, it just means that we have a lot of people yelling a lot of different things. Um, so you'll have your, your Portland city councilors, uh, yelling about Medicare for all, uh, but then you'll have your gun rights activists from Caribou, you know, 30 minutes from the Canada border. Um, but we're all jam packed together. Uh, and that political divide paired with living side by side, uh, can lead to a lot of strife, discord, um, I have a memory. I had a really great baseball coach when I was in like first grade. Uh, he always spent a lot of time with me, like teaching me, you know, Nate, keep your eye on the ball. Um, and I always like, I held those memories really, they were really precious for me. Um, but I remember just like hot off the heels of the 2016 election, um, after Donald Trump was elected, I remember my mom saying, Oh, I just saw Dave Johnson, my coach in the grocery store. I, I, I can't even look at him. 
it's it's his fault that we have this guy in the White House. Uh, and I remember like in being in like pretty utter shock. Um, like, how, why has the script flipped so suddenly? Um, and it's just because you know when it comes down to it, uh, political persuasion is going to trump everything else. Uh, and when everybody in one local local area are of drastically different persuasions, stuff's going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, Maine has had, I believe, one of the most, one of the most states with independent senators, representatives, governors, et cetera, than any other state in the nation. And so to see that independent nature kind of, even in a purple state like Maine, to see them still continue to get a seat is very interesting in the current political climate. You know, you don't see that anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes down to a sort of a weird fine line between um, having a mixture of beliefs, but also having that maverick. Um, Because like I said, we're all mixed together, clumped up um, with pretty divergent beliefs, but right down the middle, like split down the middle. Uh, But then there's also like a sizable center. Um, So it, it it can cut both ways. Like it's a similar phenomenon, but different but also they both happen. It's a strange, strange scenario. Yeah, I mean, and even in Kentucky, we see the, pur- we see purple, um, maybe not as much in our national races, but especially in our recent gubernatorial election and seeing how different counties, even by a slim majority of 10 votes, continue to flip flop different counties and areas into blue, red. Even, we even had one that um, voted very, independent in a lot of races um, and so just to see that contrast i think it's very very unique uh, perspective specifically within maine are there any issues that you think are particularly polarizing within the youth community i think generally the youth community in maine is pretty united united um it's huge left i think is my point um which is a common theme um, across the country. But the, the thing that has really come, become apparent to me in recent weeks is definitely um, the, Isra- the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, you know, it's not an issue that strikes particularly at home for Mainers. Like I said, we just aren't that diverse a state. You'd be hard pressed to find uh, you know, a strong Palestinian or um, even just Jewish community anywhere in Maine. Um, but walking down the halls, I've heard people like, you know, getting in shouting matches about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict um, and, you know, the the war with Hamas. Um, and I think that that plays a lot into the conversation we were just having about um, national issues becoming the local issues, excuse me, there's, there's so much talk right now about, you know, funding for Israel, funding for Ukraine, as there should be. Um, but, you know, the Brunswick Town Council isn't going to be doing too much about that. Um, so I think that the, the prevailing theme for Maine youth is, you know, there's a lot of passionate political energy um, that can be, can be driven, can be focused. You know, we've we've had really contentious races recently that youth have organized for, 
you know, youth turned out to reelect our governor, Janet Mills, um, who is running against a former governor uh, who is really in the image of President Trump. Um, youth turned out for Sarah Gideon, who is challenging um, Susan Collins, but ended up losing uh, in 2020. Um, but that energy, I think, is often misdirected by uh, the national conversation sometimes and distracts from main specific priorities that may um, be that our our youth energy and passion may be better focused on. Well, and that goes back to your whole concept of the instant reaction, right? Every everyone has social media; they see it on their Instagram. Breaking news: um, Hamas attacks Israel, or vice versa. What depending on the news source you read, and then all of a sudden, all you see is stories after stories of different news sites or different social media pages with different information and different. And it's like all of a sudden, the world. The world, I mean, it is a very serious conflict, but the world, like the U.S. stops. Like that's all That's all that can be focused on that as it should be in a way, right? We should be directing funds as best as we can. You know, it's not our role as the United States to just set aside. We have to keep foreign affairs a top priority. But in terms of the youth, I mean, we just continue to, we're even having to divide within ourselves on an issue that's like, Yes, we all believe in human rights, but which way are we going to tackle that issue? As as crazy as it seems, like now that's the type of stuff that we're that the youth is deeming polarizing. So you can just imagine how everything national is polarizing to us. And so to see that play out on social media and even in the classroom, um, you know, I've had English teachers more or less. I've had teachers across the building be like, "Yeah, you, there's no more like not taking a side. You have to take a side." Like whether it's on essays, whether it's on history, and so we see that. In the Israeli-Gaza conflict, we see it in Ukraine-Russia. We see it in all sorts of national issues, state issues like SB 150 in Kentucky. And we just continue to see that play over and over again, even with people on the same political side. And so it's a very troubling time, to say the least, that we're in. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, one, I don't know, one realm that i think could could maybe re-energize youth in maine um that that could focus our energy on our uh, uh more specific issues definitely the climate i think you know there's a a rich a rich history of youth climate activism and that extends to maine um there's always you know some sunrise event happening in portland um and I would, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised, and I would love to see um, a resurgence of like, you know, political passion ahead of the 2024 cycle. Um, I'm guessing that passion will be uh, related to um, President Trump if he is the Republican nominee. Um, but I would love to see, you know, a, a reinvigoration around climate, especially because um, natural resources are so key to. Uh, Maine's economy and our way of life. Um, and I could potentially see that being, you know, a a new factor, a confounding factor that could like shake up youth participation. Um, but, you know, that doesn't exist everywhere. There isn't that silver bullet to get youth 
you know, out there in like in every state, like there, there, that just doesn't exist maybe in, you know, North Dakota, maybe it does, but you know, it's, you can't have 50 out of 50. That's my point. Yeah. And I mean, how do you think you currently perceive the role in bridging that political divide? I think we're all in agreement. I think specifically youth are in agreement that yes, there is a lot of political polarization, but role, what role do you see youth playing in that? And do you think the actions they're taking currently are actually making a difference or would you say they're harming? I think youth have a really unique role in that adults and, you know, the DC politicians who've been around for decades, they are so entrenched in the system that they don't know how to break out of the binary. Um, obviously that's just common sense. Um, we haven't been ingratiated into the system, I guess, but I think that the youth, uh, no, I don't want to say inexperience, um, but the lack of exposure to like an established political environment is our greatest asset, um, which sounds counterintuitive. Um, you know, obviously if you're a young person starting out in, know the political realm you need to gain experience um but when it comes to the political climate and the political mood that is where i think our uh sense of newcomerness uh, is really really key i think really what it comes down to is there's so much talk about you know we are so divided we're so partisan but this is coming from the media this is coming from those people who the partisanship um, is just so deeply sown inside of them that they can say that they can recognize the issue, um, but they can't change their gut reactions because it's just been drilled into them. Um, but you know, for us, we haven't been on the hill for three decades now. If we show up to our state houses, to our school boards, to our town councils, and to the hill, um, to the federal government, with a truly open mind. You know, not with the idea of we need to recognize that there's partisanship and then remain ideologically entrenched. That's not going to work. What we need to say is we're going to burst onto the scene and we're, we're going to have our ideological convictions. We're going to run the gamut of the political spectrum. But, that, but our ideological convictions aren't going to be the be-all, end-all of our work. Because we know that you can't do anything by insisting. We, if you say all guns should be legal and I say no guns should be legal, if you keep yelling one thing at the other, nothing's going to work. Um, I think ideological purity and demagoguery um, is something that we just don't have in our bones. Um, and, and being able to, you know use your principles to inform your practice, uh, but not dictating your practice is really what it comes down to. And, and you have a unique ability to do that. Yeah, completely agree with everything you're saying. Um, moving on. I think we talked a bit about the media already, but 
do you have any personal experiences or stories about how social media has influenced political views and engagement of young people in your community? I mean, I I think I, I come back to that, that, that same example, um, or the most recent example of Israel-Palestine, um, but it, it, it keeps coming up. It, like, there's there'll be a, a flashpoint event, um, and there'll be, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. There'll be uh, a flourish of Instagram story posts, um, and there'll be, you know, the occasional pin handed out in the hallway. Um, and, you know, it's... It, that's a good thing that you know people are politically aware um, and they're they know how where they stand on an issue um, and I'm not criticizing them for not you know having the the gumption to not to, to go out and you know make actual change because you know we're in high school we're 16 we're 17 there's a limited amount that we can do um, but I am definitely put off by how much, social media and the internet dictates the conversation instead of real life issues on the ground. I would so much rather hear somebody saying who like here say, I would so much rather hear something I disagree with that's rooted in like a true experience than something I actually agree with that is just, you know, being parroted from some Instagram story. I completely agree because it's like when the war with Hamas started, it's kind of like everyone started posting these Instagram stories for maybe 48 hours and it slowly dies down. Then it'll come back. Then it dies down. And it's not even based on what's actually going on in the news. It's more like reposting all these like nonprofit Instagram posts or even posts that are spreading misinformation. So that's just really dangerous. Well, I mean, like, how do you even find, how do you even find fact anymore? I mean, it's, it's hard enough as it is for us to navigate not only social media, but I mean, news sites these days. I mean, it's crazy how even biased and not suggestive, but like one way or another suggested towards a certain ideal instead of giving us, hey, here's the facts. Here's what you need to know. Make your informed opinion off of there. Because I completely agree with you, Nate. I'd rather talk to someone who I disagree with who knows what they're talking about than talk to another person who's been like, I saw that on Instagram story. I support that without knowing exactly what it is. I mean, and the Israel-Palestine conflict is a great example of that. I mean, you see one news article and it can lean one way or another, but it's it's just like, oh, yeah, human rights. But if you view it from one lens, it's more Israel. You view it from another, it's more Palestine. You view it from another, it's like, this is terrible. <laughs> and all, all of it just culminates into this flood storm of, yes, we all agree that we need to do something, but we can't actively because of our, especially people in Capitol Hill, can't be like, okay, we all agree in human rights, but let's come together let's fund what we can in humanitarian aid and be the bigger person in foreign affairs. And instead we're having all these political conversations, not only on Capitol Hill, but between us of like, who's right, who's wrong, who's on what side of history. When in reality, what we need to be focused on is here's what's happening. There's people dying. This is a global conflict. What can we do to stop the global conflict? That should be the discussion, but we're just so fixated on, well, 
um, one side's taking the pro-Israel side and one's taking the pro-Palestine side. Why can't we be taking the pro-humanitarian aid side? Like there's none, there's none of that conversation happening. And it's so frustrating to be like, oh, you have to make a decision. When in reality, most global issues specifically are so multifaceted that it's like, how can you, how can you be one or the other? You know, it's, it's really hard to navigate. And, you know, yeah, you go ahead. I think, I think the issue or the, the paradigm that I see is the exactly what you're saying that the there the issues are too multifaceted to break into a binary um but because we're so trained to go into that um dichotomy of left and right um or blue and red that we we automatically go there um and the because because we're we're coming from the standpoint that there's there's two options and we're on one of them. Um, and the other one is so far away that we can't, we, we want to consider the ones that are in between, uh, but we can't even begin to do it because what we're hearing from the other side is so far removed from what we agree with. Um, and that that's really a contradiction to me. Um, there's like a paradox of like, you know, you want, you, you say that you value inclusion um, and tolerance and understanding, but, but doesn't that mean you need to tolerate the people who don't tolerate you too? Um, like when do you stop accepting political difference and when do you start validating hatred and, you know, normalizing injustice? Um, and that's that's definitely a, a common theme that I see in in current affairs today, with especially with respect to Israel Palestine, um, but across across the board, uh, like where do we draw the line between um, having a productive conversation and and like saying it's okay for hatred, um, because I think. We, we need radical inclusion. Um, like if you can stomach a really hateful opinion, if you can, if you can handle hearing that, I think it's actually important to hear um, so that you can, so the, the, the conversation can continue. Um, but sometimes you can't, that some things are too far. Um, and drawing that line so that most, the most people can be the most comfortable is really tough. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you said about Israel and Palestine, it's like people are saying you have to be like, oh, I stand with Israel or, oh, I side with Palestine. But like what Connor said about being pro-humanitarian aid, it's like, why can't we just stand with the people and why do we have to choose a side in the first place? Yeah, this directly leads to our our last question, but, you know, looking ahead, um, 2023, we've got huge presidential, well, really just a huge election in 2024 and onward, but what are your hopes and aspirations for the role of youth as we continue to shape the political landscape of today? I think exactly what I just said is, is really what I'm excited um, for youth to start doing is, is taking their their local government and, you know, building from there by storm um, with radical inclusion. 
um, they we need to get used to hearing things we vehemently disagree with so that wherever we can find common ground and wherever we can say, okay, I believe this, but for the sake of progress, I'm okay with that. Um, building our, our, I don't know, stamina for that um, is where I think the youth movement is really, should be headed. Um, because so often um, youth find themselves on the right and the left, you know, at the, at the extreme ends of the political spectrum. Um, and that's okay. Like if, if, if your ideological commitment is, is to the far left or the far right, that's your prerogative. Um, but it's not your prerogative to say, I'm not going to listen to anybody else. Um, and getting comfortable with other opinions in a way that the political establishment is not, is really where I want to see the youth movement headed. Um, and I think it definitely could be going there. The The political spectrum is a circle. You know what I mean? Um, nobody is ever as far apart politically as they think they are. They'll, I, I just have a rock solid belief that you'll always be able to find something that you agree on with somebody else. Um, even if you agree 99 times out of 100, that 100th time, you'll find the golden nugget. Um, and focusing on on that and and getting used to to hearing other opinions is really i think the future well thank you so much for joining this episode of common ground and the commonwealth we really appreciate your insight and we look forward to all the great things that you have in your future because i know your future is very bright so we can't wait to see what you do yeah, i appreciate it so much yeah thank you nate yeah, yeah thank, thank you guys. With that, thank you for tuning in to episode one of Common Ground in the Commonwealth. We're so excited to have you on this journey with us. To keep up with us, make sure to follow us at KY Student Y for all the updates. Where unity is our strength and diversity is our power. See you next time on the Common Ground.